Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Hockey News on the E! podcast presented by BetMGM. I'm Jacob Stoller from the Hockey News alongside Justin Cohn from the Fort Wayne Journal-Gazette. How you doing, man? It's been a while. I'm good. You know, I went to went to Buffalo, got to check out another nice. NHL city and uh, spent some time with my daughter and uh, raring to go. Been been back at work for a little bit. So I'm, I'm excited to have the podcast uh, up and uh, up and running again after a little break. It must be nice for your family to not have, you know, the everyone be quiet. I've got a guest on period during the day, so we can get over that. But we're going to be doing um, a little something interesting because it is August. And with no, you know, there's there's news coming out and there's things. But what's really cool is we have the chance here to talk to people around the game, different than a coach, different than a player, someone part of the game that has a different vantage point that we, A, usually never get to speak to, and B, we talk a lot about and that's referees so today we're going to be joined by logan gruel an echl referee he officiated the 2023 kelly cup finals very interesting path to get to where he was and we'll get into all of that justin will bug him about goal interference and all that fun stuff without further ado let's bring him on from backstage logan gruel logan how's it going man hey i'm good fellas thanks for having me on absolutely sure thing so whereabouts are you right now where's home for you I live in Richmond, Virginia, um, nice. so I am home there, um, born and raised. So, just uh, just enjoying the summer, what's left of it. So, absolutely. So for you, I mean, I know the summer usually kind of winds down in September for in, for hockey as a whole, but for a referee, like, do you kind of get most of September off? Like, do, does it kind of creep into there as well? Yeah, we do. We kind of start some. You know some meetings and some some stuff like that. Um, I think our training camps usually beginning of October, so just kind of get back on the ice and try to stay in, try and stay in some decent shape, and uh, you know get in the rule book and with rule changes and whatnot. Um, so just just kind of gear up. But yeah, September's pretty much our uh, kind of like an August. I like to call it for us because uh, right. June's pretty short. So fair. Can you uh, tell us just a little bit about your hockey background and, and how you became a referee at the professional level? Sure. Um, yeah, I played, I grew up in Richmond, so not exactly a hockey hotbed. Um, so I played until I was about 17. Um, started officiating when I was 14, actually, kind of like as a part-time job. Um, so I did both for a couple of years and just really enjoyed officiating uh, more than playing, got a couple injuries when I was playing. And then, um, definitely knew that, uh, you know, I had some big shoes to fill with my family, but, uh, definitely knew that I was going to be a better official than, uh, than a player and, um, really just kind of took off and really, really enjoyed it. Started off making some good money. And then, um, you know, the, the more hockey I worked and the better hockey I worked, I just, I just fell in love with, um, officiating. So did you know, like, you know, when you're a teenager that you had the right, um, 
you know, mentality, the right disposition, if you will, to, to be a, a referee. What do you mean, Justin? He was refereeing the road hockey. <laughs> he was the guy, six in the middle. He's like, no, I'm out. I'm going to ref this one. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, uh, obviously it's a learning curve. And, um, you know, my, you know, growing up in a hockey family, you sort of are used to that dialogue, if you will. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, like anything, it was a, it was a learning curve. I mean, you got to have thick skin, obviously. Um, and, you know, you just kind of just grows with experience of how to handle situations. Um, you know, it, it, uh, it took a long time for me to, you know, really, really learn how to deal with those situations, but um, I definitely loved it. And, you know, growing up, I was kind of taught not to, not to take anybody's crap, if you will. So that uh, definitely helps growing up in a, in a hockey family for sure. So before the ECHL, like what, what was the progression? Like what levels were you refing at before you became an ECHL official? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously I worked, you know, everything I could in this area. I, I went to college. So um, I graduated in 2017. So I was still doing some part-time officiating, um, went to a few referee camps over the summer, uh, got some exposure and, um, you know, eventually when I graduated college, I went to the USC hockey officiating development program prospects camp. Um, and that was in Buffalo actually as well. And then I got offered to um, kind of went in there with no expectations, to be honest with you, went, went there and got offered to move to Minnesota in a um, North American hockey league tier two, tier two junior apartment. Um, and they wanted me to be a referee and, you know, this camp was in July and I wasn't really expecting to have to, to move. And, um, you know, I stayed local for college. So that was, uh, it was definitely a, a different experience for me and a tough decision I had to make. And I only had a week to say, well, how long do I have to make this decision? And he said, well, you got about a week. So let me know in a week. And I was like, all right. So uh, obviously I did it and uh, moved to Minnesota and I worked um, the North American Hockey League for a year. Um, living in a league supply department. And then the next two years I went and went on to work the USHL in um, Des Moines, Iowa, lived in an apartment there for two years. Um, in the second year, I, I worked half um, ECHL, half USHL. I got a, um, an offer from them at the time. And I went just another camp basically over the summer, got hired right out of that camp. And then, yeah, so worked some junior hockey and then COVID hit and I moved home. And then, uh, yeah, been full time with the ECHL since. So, well, since you kind of brought up a little bit of that stuff, I mean, what's kind of the the lifestyle of an ECHL referee like in terms of do you guys all have you know day jobs? Uh, I would imagine some guys are full time, some are part time. I don't know. You tell us. You know, probably a lot of driving on your own, or maybe with other referees from city to city. I mean, just it's got to be a grind. What what's that stuff like? Yeah. I mean, it just depends. I mean, we've got, you know, obviously we've got parts and part-time guys that work, um, you know, full-time jobs and also work maybe just weekends. We've got, um, you know, people like me, I would say we're kind of um, fortunate to have the best of both worlds. Um, I have like a all remote day job. I work for uh, United States tennis association. Um, so I work for them 35 hours a week and I'm also able to uh, travel and officiate as well. Um, pretty much full-time. Um, you know, and then we've got full-time guys that either live in an apartment, like a league supply department. Um, we've got a few of those. And then, you know, we've got maybe full-time guys that live at home that also are still, 
you know, able to live at home, but also travel as much as the league wants, uh, wants them to. So, but yeah, lots, lots of driving, um, just kind of depends on your location, I guess. Um, our apartments are pretty, pretty centrally located for the linesmen where you kind of see the same linesmen and, um, in the same kind of areas, uh, referees will be in apartments as well, but they'll kind of fly and we might do a flip-flop where they might send, you know, me to stay in one of the league apartments for, for a weekend and then they'll go out and, uh, and work somewhere as well. So it's, uh, you know, me personally down in Richmond, I, I drive to a few rinks. I drive down to Charleston. I drive down to, um, Greenville. I drive to Wheeling, uh, Norfolk, obviously only two hours Reading as well. So I'm kind of fortunate that I can, uh, get a break from flying and especially nowadays in, uh, and drive a little bit, but yeah, we definitely, um, when we fly in, we usually, uh, you know, pair up with a linesman and they'll, uh, they'll have to be stuck with us for the weekend. So what what's the breakdown for like, what's a full-time ref workload versus a part-time one with games? Um, it just, just kind of depends. I mean, you know, I would say probably just generally speaking, you know, the full-time guys will do those weekday games, the Wednesday games, the Tuesday games, uh, stuff like that, where, you know, if guys can't travel because of their job, they might work, uh, you know, some mostly weekend games. Um, we've also kind of got some, you know, like maybe the newer referees to, to pro hockey that work maybe USHL as well, like me the first year. I mean, I was getting a steady diet of, you know, maybe Sundays in Tulsa or, you know, cause I lived in Iowa. So um, it just kind of depends, right? Like it, it just kind of depends on if there's a set number or set schedule um, if you will. But, you know, if you're working multiple leagues, the leagues obviously are in communication and right. um, match their schedules, which is good for those guys and good for the, good for the leagues as well to make sure there's no overlap. So one of the things that I found that NHL fans, people that maybe are not as familiar with the ECHL, one of the things that really surprises them is that we're still uh, not totally at the two referee system, you know, where I think it was 25% of regular season games last year and all of the playoff games. Um, You know, how much more challenging is it for you as a referee, you know, maybe one night you're working one man system, the next night you're two man going back and forth. I mean, are there challenges? Is there one that's easier or one that you prefer? No, I mean, there's definitely, like you said, there's definitely some challenges. Um, really the only challenge I would say is uh, just the different sight lines really. Cause when you're in a, you know, you're a, out there by yourself in a, you know, only referee in a three man system, you're pretty much trailing play the entire time. Um, so you're kind of like, skating into penalties, if you will, where if you're in a four-man system, the penalties are kind of coming to you. Um, so, you know, naturally it's, you know, it's, you know, those plays around the net where there's a four official system, like it's, those are much easier to see um, as opposed to, you know, being at the other side of the, uh, the Coliseum at the far blue line, skating between both benches and trying to avoid both players and trying to see a scoring play at the net. So it's, it's, uh, it's definitely challenging. Um, you know, I enjoy, I enjoy both. Um, I enjoy, I enjoy the, um, you know, I enjoy sometimes being out there. I mean, those games are, those games are tough as you guys know, um, um, especially in a three man system sometimes. So to try to, you know, rise to the challenge and, you know, this is, this is your game. This is your, this is your standard, you know, this is your, you know, you gotta, you gotta step up, um, you know, but also the four man system, uh, as well, you know, the team aspect, I, I love team sports and I love the team aspect of working together as a team and, um, having an extra set of eyes out there some nights is, is really good. So, um, I wouldn't say I prefer one over the other. I mean, like you said, it's kind of all transitioning to, to four official system, hopefully. Um, mm-hmm. 
So just because the game's so fast nowadays. Um, so that's that's definitely uh, hopefully we all have uh, we all we get four out there soon and we won't even have to talk about the three man system. So Well, and and, you know, I, there's, this is not a knock because I understand there's no way around this. But the way it is now, I mean, you're not working with the same guy every night. You know, I mean, is, is that challenging? Like, you don't know if that if the if your partner is going to be seeing the game the same way that you are. I mean. I know that if everybody's following the, the letter of the law, of course, everybody should be seeing the same things out there, but there's gotta be an adjustment period when you're working with somebody and maybe they're not seeing the game the same way you are. Yeah, for sure. I mean, everybody's kind of got a different style of, you know, what they do out there. Um, you know, as far as, you know, like you said, standard and um, the standard that we, you know, we want to call is like you said, by the letter of the law, but obviously it's um, you know, everybody's judgment's different, just like, you know, everybody's judgment on things might be different. Um, you know, at the end of the day, I think what we want to do is just try to be on the same page as much as possible. Um, you know, and, and I think talking about that kind of stuff before the game of, Hey, you know, we haven't worked a lot of, you know, either a lot together or a lot of four official system and just kind of going over what, you know, what different areas of responsibility on the ice we're going to be looking at, um, you know, in, in a given situation, but for sure there's an adjustment period, just, you know, just like any job, like, you know, a day job where you, you know, you have new employees, it's, it's an adjustment period. So it's, it's never going to be, never going to be perfect, but, you know, like I said, I think we, we do a good job of preparing um, for that before the game even starts of kind of expectations and getting to know that person and um, for sure. So. How, how do you work on your craft as an official? Oh, how much time do you have? No, it's, you know, especially in pro hockey, I think communication is um, such an important piece for me. I, you know, I think, you know, I always thought I had a pretty good sense of judgment at whatever various levels I was working at. Um, Obviously skating is important. You know, you gotta, you gotta be, you gotta be in good shape and you gotta be a good skater so you can get even get into the right places to make the right call um, because, you know, that helps your sight lines the the more you skate. Um, But for me personally, I think, when I was a newer official um, and newer to various leagues, it's, you know, communication, my communication was probably not where it needed to be. Um, And then it's just, it's just a completely different game, right? You do junior hockey where it's, it's just completely different. You're dealing with kids, you know, you're dealing with, um, and then you get into pro hockey, you're dealing with adults. So, you know, and then they want to be treated that way and communicated that way. And the players and coaches, you know, are all adults and professional athletes and, and coaches and whatnot. So I would say for me, I think honing in on communication and how to communicate with people, um, especially professional athletes was probably my biggest um, thing that I focused on personally, but, you know, try to be a well-rounded um, official and, and kind of work on all those things. In a more practical sense, like what does a, a refing combine look like? I know um, I've heard from people that went to the one, I think it's in Buffalo, right? The AHL, mm-hmm. ECHL one. And then you also made reference to, um, like a development camp for USA hockey. What are the referee camps or development um, things like? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think the uh, the NHL combine, the HL NHL combine, it's it's a lot of um, you know a lot of fitness testing, a lot of um, you know a lot of skating, a lot of you know a lot of rules stuff um, because they're looking for you know they're looking for really good athletes and they're looking for you know, very in shape officials, just like the players. Um, and, you know, for them, if they're, you know, the difference between, you know, one guy and the next guy might be, 
you know, they're just simply in not good enough shape. So, you know, there, there's a reason why they might not hire them. So it's um, those camps for sure are more, more vigorous, I would say, and more like fitness oriented. You know, we've got a lot of different camps, whereas, you know, for younger officials going to a summer camp might be okay. You know, we do a day or two of, um, of fitness testing. Um, we do, we do a lot of classroom stuff. We do a lot of skating and power skating because a lot of them are just, you know, need to work on their skating. Um, and I was fortunate enough the last two years to be on the other side of that. I was instructing to USA hockey, um, summer camp. So to kind of see that aspect of when I was a camper and what it's like, and then the organization of what we want to do as an instructor, um, staff as well. So it just kind of depends on what league and what, you know, what, uh, what type of hockey that, you know, the camps are, you know, we also have, um, I just, I, I did a camp last week. It was, um, international, get my international officiating license. Um, so those camps are kind of more work the hockey games, you know, getting the IIHF rule book, you know, things like that. So it just kind of depends, um, on what camp you're going to, but a lot of it's pretty similar in that, you know, a lot of hockey, a lot of skating, um, usually a lot of classroom stuff. And then the fitness stuff kind of just depends. They're teaching you all the swear words and other languages at the international <laughs> one. So you, so you know, one of toss a two or five. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I was, uh, you, you kind of get a, you know, I got a feeling of they weren't saying nice things to me, but I didn't know what they were saying. So it's, uh, interesting but body language you're, you're giving me kind of like f bad flashbacks i was a usa hockey official for a lot of years and i always felt like oh i could handle the written test i knew the rule book but when they got us out on the ice and like <laughs> the guys that played at a high level you know they're like power skating they're just uh, that that part was very intimidating for me and <laughs> and i'm also remember like my big kind of claim to fame if you will was i did a red wings comets old timers game and i got the full the full treatment, you know, booed by 8,000 Comet fans and, and all that. But I remember it got into the third period and these guys were like, okay, let's just, we're actually going to play now. And they like, they turned it on and it was so fast that I was like, I, I, intimidated isn't even really the right word. I was just like, what am I doing out here? So I guess my question is, do you ever have moments like that where these guys, NHL prospects, you know, whatnot, you know, they turn on the afterburners and you're just kind of like, whoa, this got fast or this got really physical. I mean, there must be some moments even for guys like you. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, uh, you know, you can kind of see in either for, the, for, for better or for worse, you can kind of see, you know, where the turning point might be and kind of see where games kind of go one way or the other. Um, you know, we, I've had games where it's been, you know, two periods of just absolute war. And then, you know, they, they sort of adjust and then it's like, okay, oh, Oh crap, you know, it's two one hockey game. Now we got now we gotta play hockey the third period. We can't be in the, you know, and then the third period you get no penalties and it's back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, you know, seven, eight minutes without a whistle. You know, and you've had you've had the other games where, you know, you you you, you miss a major penalty, you can't see it. You're in a three, you know, a three official system and you know, you just you just you see it go the other way. So it's uh yeah, it's definitely uh definitely um definitely interesting. Um, but definitely when the guys turn on the jets or you know, you got six, seven minutes without a whistle and you're just praying for a puck to go out of play or, you know, a, a whistle or anything. So it's, uh, yeah, it's definitely, definitely you've seen it from many, many sides. I got to ask, what's it like to be part of a goaltender interference uh, referendum or whatever you want to call it uh, at that level? Uh, as far as like what we talk about or like just like yeah. on the end in the moment or? Well, what it's like, you know, 
whether it's not having you know extensive replay to look at and having to rely on your instincts or the human eye um i remember as a kid i used to think that when the refs huddled they were just saying okay wh what should we decide is the call you know you never i never really understood really what you're talking about when you don't have video access so maybe take us through that process yeah i mean it's you know obviously you know, we, we, we see what we see you know real time um you know if there's any doubt we might want to you know because i mean with our with our replay system and in various buildings you never know if you know, it's going to be hundred percent working or, so we want to always make a call on the ice, you know, make sure we're all on the same page of, to make the best call we can, you know, in the back of our mind that replay might not work. So we want to make sure we get the, the best call that we can in the moment. Um, you know, and then we go to, then we go to replay. Um, and, you know, we kind of just, you know, you know, we watch it, we watch it real time. You know, we, we may slow it down. We may, you know, I mean, the thing about is, you know, a lot of times in there too, as well as we don't necessarily get all the angles that you might see on flow or, um, you know, maybe, uh, you know, like a place like Toledo, right. That's got so many different camera angles and, and everything like that. So, you know, we're, we're trying to do the best we can in there. Um, a lot of times, you know, we're only looking on an iPad, so it's, you know, connection might not be great or it might be a little grainy or it might be a little blurry. So, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to make the best call we can. And, you know, it's, um, you know, a lot, a lot of factors into it, right? Like it's, it's never an easy decision with, I mean, as you guys know about, you know, especially goaltender interference, you know, like it's even at the NHL level, even at the international level, it's, there's always, always debate for that. We're just trying to make the best call that we can that, you know, that supports the game and the, and the play that happened. So oh, we know Joe Ernst is a friend of the show. <laughs> Joe Ernst is a good friend of the show. We hear from him often. Yeah. Talk to Joe. Well, I've seen, I've seen Justin's Twitter. So you know, we, oh, my, uh, apolo my apologies, we, <laughs> Justin, we need more, we need more officials, man. You need to get back into it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm actually kind of glad you brought that up because, you know, just a, a real quick story. Like when I was doing, I, I don't remember it was the UHL or the IHL. I used to actually do referee rankings and this was like really popular. And what I found out years later was that all the referees at the time, like they actually tracked what I was writing and like I still hear from them like remember that year where you had me number two in like 2005 <laughs> but do you guys pay attention I mean obviously you know fans are talking about calls I'm talking about calls you know if it's game seven Fort Wayne Cincinnati we're breaking down did they get it right did they get it wrong with goaltender interference I mean do you guys pay attention to that stuff do you guys put it out of your mind I mean I would personally stay away from it but yeah. I, I'm just wondering yeah no, I, th I think for the most part, we stay away from it. I mean, it's um, look, I mean, with any, with any team and any fans and any, you know, people covering a team, I mean, it's, you know, they, they got, you know, at the end of the day, it's they're cheering for their team and they're, they want their team to win. And that's, you know, it's, there's, I have such an appreciation for that, you know, of various sports teams and fans. And um, you know, at the end of the day, like it wouldn't be what we get to do and enjoy what we get to do without, you know, 8,000 people in the Coliseum on a Friday or Saturday night. So it's, you know, personally, I like it. I love when the crowd's into it. I'd much rather have that. And, you know, it's, you know, it, it's, that's what makes the game great is, you know, when you skate out and everybody boos you or, you know, you know, says stuff to you when you go down like that, it's just all part of the game and, you know, fans and, and team is in team personnel. Like they want to win at all costs and they, they're going to support their team no matter what. So, I mean, obviously like anything, like we want to go out there and, stay out of the way the best we can, but, you know, sometimes we got to make a, you know, make a tough decision and obviously none of us are perfect. Um, but for the most part, as far as all that other stuff goes outside of it, I, you know, we, 
we mostly stay away from it. You know, something might pop up every now and again where, you know, I kind of, I just kind of get a good laugh out of it. And, you know, I mean, again, I kind of say, you know what, if that was my team, like I would be, I would be probably doing the same thing. Um, but I, I personally just, just kind of tune all that stuff out. You know, now that, now that I know that Logan's seen my tweets, like I'm already thinking, Oh God, you got to drop some Easter eggs in there. Um, so speaking of Memorial Coliseum, we, we obviously have to talk about your father, Scott, um, He's a, a legendary player in this in, in these parts and in many parts was the all-time International Hockey League goal scorer, member of the um, 1993 uh, championship team, which is one of the most famed uh, uh, minor league championship teams ever. Uh, I think a lot of this happened probably before you were even born. <laughs> um, so, you know, what's it like when, when you come into a building that he played in uh, helped make famous. I mean, uh, is that weird for you? Is it any different for you when you come to a place like Fort Wayne opposed to, you know, I don't, I don't know, Allen where, where he didn't play. Um, no, I mean, it's really cool. I mean, obviously I've at different, you know, different junctures of my officiating career. I've kind of ran into that, um, that situation, you know, like he played in Muskegon for a long time. So whenever I went to my first time in Muskegon, um, the security guy, I was just down in the, down in the tunnel warming up and he's just like, Oh, like, you're Logan, you're refing tonight. And I was like, yeah, like, you know, and he, he, he was still doing being the security guard when my dad was playing there. So, right. you know, things like that, you kind of get used to it and you see the name, especially in junior hockey where you use the the name bars on their back. I got it a lot more because they would see the name on the back and be like, Oh, wow. And then, you know, so um, no, it doesn't really change anything for me. It, it's pretty cool. You know um, it's pretty cool to go in there and, you know, know that he had a lot of history and especially that, you know, that, that barn back in the day and, um, you know, it's always nice getting comments and, you know, making the connection and, and stuff like that. Um, but nothing really changes as far as it's not, not uncomfortable. It's not weird. It's not, you know, nothing, nothing more than the other, you know, I got to, I was lucky, fortunate enough to be there for, um, when they, um, when they recognized the past champions night this past year. So that was pretty cool to, to, you know, I got to see him in Fort Wayne and, um, some of his old teammates and, um, but no, nothing nothing changes for me. I mean, it's, uh, it's pretty cool. He played, play, he played a lot of places. So right, right. there's definitely a lot of stops, uh, on his, on his journey. So, well, and now you are the first father son combination in ECHL history to have both participated in the finals. He won what was then the Riley cup. Now the Kelly mm -hmm. cup, uh, with Richmond, I believe. And you mm -hmm. worked this year's finals. I mean, that's a gotta be an awesome honor for, for you two father and son. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I definitely, uh, obviously, you know, still being in Richmond and obviously, you know, the history of the, the team here and all that stuff. And I obviously knew he won a ECHL championship, but I honestly didn't even think neither of us really thought anything of it, you know, got, got selected to work the finals and, you know, work the finals. And we were down in, down in Florida actually after the season was, or after the uh, series was over and uh, Joe Babbick was down there and he was just like, man, like, that's really cool. Like you had to have had to have like, and I was like, I actually, since you said that, I didn't even, didn't even put two and two together. Didn't even, didn't even cross my mind. Um, I was just trying to survive and, and uh, get through the finals with, uh, with uh, flying colors. And, you know, so it was pretty cool him talking about it. And, you know, obviously the story that he did was, was really cool. And yeah, I mean, for sure, it's a huge honor and, you know, it's regardless of what my dad did. I mean, it's just a huge honor to be there and, um, you know, work, work of finals is, work a championship series is always, always the goal for all of us when the season starts. So um, especially my first one, the ECHL was, it was a huge honor for sure. For you, 
as an official, is the AHL or NHL kind of in your um, in your list of goals, or are you happy doing you know what you're doing with USA Tennis and this on the, on the side, or where do you kind of see your career? Hopefully, I mean, look, like when I first started, it was you know it was I want to make it to NHL. I want to you know that was a, a big goal of mine. I'm not to say it's not now, but obviously you know how hard it is to get there to begin with. Um, and you know, the, the older you get, you know, it's obviously the window probably closes a little bit, if you will. Um, but look, I mean, it's, it's such an honor just to, just to be out on the ice, you know, with professional athletes at any level. I mean, the ECHL is, I mean, you guys know it's, it's, it's always been a, it's always been a solid league, but it's, it's some of the best hockey that there is out there. So just to be out there with those guys and sharing the ice and, um, it's a huge, it's a huge honor for sure. And, um, you know, obviously would love to, to advance and move up. Um, but you know, if it doesn't happen, it, it wasn't meant to be. And, you know, at the end of the day, if, if I can say that I gave myself the best chance and, you know, went about things the right way, then, you know, I can live with that. Um, you know, and there's a lot of different avenues as well, right? Like college hockey still an option, you know, um, international hockey still an option as well. Um, and that's what I just did. So looking forward to, you know, hopefully work in that route, maybe work in a world juniors or, you know, eventually one day or something like that. So it's, um, no, I, like I said, I can definitely, you know, I pride myself with, you know, doing things the right way. So I can, um, I can live with that at the end of the day, if it doesn't work out. And, um, there's a lot more, more than just hockey out there. And, you know, it's, um, I'm very fortunate. So just one quick follow-up on, on, you know, ascending to the higher levels, you know, something that we've seen over the last few years is they're identifying players and rapidly moving them up, you know, up the officiating tier, you know, as guys like Justin Key and, and whatnot who were playing. And then a couple of years later, you see them in the AHL, maybe even the NHL. As a guy who's been down in the ECHL and excelling and paying his dues, I mean, is there any frustration that, you know, they're kind of circumventing the ECHL a little bit? Because, you know, my feeling is like sort of like baseball. You should, unless you're really the rare talent, you should be stay, starting at this level and moving your way up. But obviously it's not really set up for that right now. Yeah. I mean, you can, you can, you can kind of sit there and, you know, we've all, we've all thought about those scenarios, um, you know, and I, I just kind of go back to just try to control what I can control. I mean, sure. You know, we all might have opinions about various things and um, you know, things like that, but at the end of the day, it's, it's out of my control. It's out of, um, you know, it's, it's out of every, you know, officials control really, as far as that goes. I mean, I can do what I can do. And, you know, I kind of look and say, well, what could I do better? There's things that I could do better um, for sure. And maybe if I did those things better and excelled at those things, you know, maybe I, I would get a, I would get a look. So, um, you know, as far as the players go, look, I mean, <laughs> they're, they're some of the best athletes in the world already. They're in amazing shape. They can skate, you know, they, they know the game, they can probably communicate. So, you know, learning rules is anybody can do that. Just get in the rule book. So, I mean, it's, I mean, some of the best officials in the world were straight out of playing. And um, so there's, there's no, you know, no hard feelings really on my end. I mean, like I said, it's, it's out of my control at the end of the day and I'm just doing the best that I can do. Um, and wherever that gets me at the end of the day is, you know, I can live with that, but. Good stuff. Well, Logan, thank you so much for coming on and joining us. Uh, we really appreciate it and uh, enjoy September and, and the rest of August and good luck next season. Thanks guys. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Appreciate Take it. care, man. Yep, you too.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, pretty pretty awesome. You were able to score a, a referee there, so thanks for that, Justin. That that was great. I mean, uh, hopefully he he moves up a level if he wants, and we can look back on this one pretty fondly, knowing we had him on the show at one point. Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, in my opinion, he's you know, it's hard to say because you don't see everybody with regularity in every town, but of the referees I've seen, he's the guy that I think does the best job in terms of if I were picking the guy I would want to call game seven of a series tomorrow based on the guys I've seen. He's the one I pick because I feel like he's pretty consistent. He lets them play, uh, you know, doesn't make it about him, if you will. Uh, so I was pretty excited to have him on. And, uh, you know, for people in this area, I think they'll, they'll geek out a little bit just because his father yeah, was such a great player. And a little bit was like, he was a hated rival. Like Logan brought up, he played in Muskegon. Muskegon was a hated rival of Fort Wayne. And so it was yeah. kind of a big deal that he then ended up playing for Fort Wayne and helping them to a championship. So a uh, lot, of, lot of layers that I think is cool about that interview. So we want to talk about, uh, you know, one more thing before we sign off for today. And this was a really interesting story. We weren't recording regularly when this happened, so we weren't able to talk about it. But Lake Tahoe is getting an ECHL team. And if you want scenic views and and uh good vibes you got it there but then there's a kicker tim tebow is one of the owners um of the team i mean this completely surface level completely for disregarding any intricacies or logistics you got tebow involved pretty cool place uh decently sized arena seems pretty awesome does it not yeah, I mean, there's, there's there's more to it. I'm sure there's there's a lot to this. Uh, I actually heard from a lot of people when this happened, which is surprising. Um, you know, one note on Tebow, and I actually did hear from a couple teams almost thanking me for pointing this out. He was involved with ownership in two other ECHL teams, so he's not totally. What do you mean involved? So he's got a piece of the Jacksonville Icemen Still? and a piece of the Savannah Ghost Pirates. Nothing wrong in the ECHL in having ownership in multiple teams, for instance, Newfoundland, Trois-Rivières, Iowa, though they recently got sold. So, um, you know, it reads like he's going to have more involvement with this team than he does with the other two, but he's not totally new to the league. And I feel like some people didn't really understand that, but they clearly, when they rolled this new Lake Lake Tahoe team, which doesn't have a name yet, um, they made him the face of it. So, that implies to me that he's going to have more involvement with this, but I, but I guess if time will he tell. if he does have more involvement, would that not like would that not equate to a sale happening of the other two entities? No, no. no? Like I just said, you, they're same owner in Newfoundland and Trois Rivieres. And it's, oh, you're right. Iowa, yeah, yeah. Sorry, sorry. There's yeah, yeah. No, there's no rule against it. There's been many instances of owners yeah, owning you're right. multiple teams. Um, but again, we don't know how much money he actually has in any of these teams. No, yeah. Uh, 
So, so what, know. what do you estimate a ECHL team goes for? <laughs> uh, depends on the market, I guess. Yeah, it depends on the market. I mean, well, this is an expansion one. So, an expansion team, I would, in some strange ways, think might be a little bit less than some other teams. It would. Like, like if Fort Wayne were to be sold tomorrow, I mean, you're talking millions of dollars. Oh, I think a four, I think but, uh, an expansion team, you, are getting... you just you just need to buy it really yeah, exactly you, you need 100%. to buy it and you need to show that you're going to be a sustainable strong market yeah and that is something i i wish i could give you a good number on it that's you've given me a good project i'm gonna try and find out like what some of these teams are worth but i i would think you know you're talking with some of these bigger teams toledo fort wayne whatever you're talking millions of dollars now oh you're other... talking millions of dollars regardless well some other teams though i think at least a million dollars yeah yeah, yeah. I'm not but, right. Right. I see what you're saying. There's some that are, you know, you know, but there's four some millions. One yes. might be eight million. Another. You're might right. Be totally. Just, totally. Just about a million. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of factors, and you and know, I guess from a business so, point of view, it's like if you can for the Lake Tahoe project, if you believe in it, you can get it for a very cheap expansion fee or whatever it is, or just a purchasing rights. There's potential yeah. to far yeah. exceed what you paid for. Well, and don't forget, you know, every market is very different. Some teams are subsidized by local government. Yeah, know, teams yeah. like like Wheeling during the pandemic was getting a ton of money from local government. Some, you know, the city or the county owns the arena. Others, the team owns the arena. You know, in Kalamazoo, the Wings own the arena. They own the team. They own the whole shebang. In Fort Wayne, Comets don't own anything. They own their franchise, so they don't get parking. They don't get concessions. So every market's very different. But that's actually one of the interesting things about Lake Tahoe, and you touched on it, and this mm-hmm. is one of the things I heard from a lot of people, is, is that really a sustainable market? Because it is based so much on tourism. Mm-hmm. And that was my first concern, was, wow, you're really banking on people there to do the things in and around Lake Tahoe. And then I talked to my brother. My brother is in San Francisco, and my nephew is an up-and-coming youth hockey player. He's very good, really good future wanna, NHL player. Do you want to plug your nephew now? <laughs> this is your one chance, by, dude. By the way, his hair is, like, down past his shoulders, so he's got a lot of what we call salad going on. Um, but the point here is he <laughs> has played in tournaments in Lake Tahoe. So okay. my brother has been out there and has experienced the hockey community there, and he assured me there is a market there. Now, there might be a little bit of a drive from some of the... I was going to say, yeah. But, you know, I'm skeptical, but I have not personally been there. But I can tell you, I heard from a lot of people that were skeptical. But here's my bigger concern is just geographical rivals. Because, you know, you're you're obviously selling a lot of, oh, there's there's built-in rivalries with Utah and with Rapid City. And to some extent, like Tulsa, Wichita places like that. But what if Utah gets an NHL team, you know, which is obviously something that people have been talking a lot about. Um, so How that far was, are those two markets apart? Oh, I'd have to bring up MapQuest. Uh, you know, Utah and Lake Tahoe are not far and, and Rapid City is not awful. But yeah. b- beyond that, now you're getting into a drive. You know, when you're getting into Wichita, Allen, Kansas City, Iowa, you know, that's a little bit of a haul. So if one of those dominoes were to fall, um, all of a sudden that looks like an outlier geographically to me. But maybe there's something more going on. Maybe they're going to add another Western market. You know, this league yeah. used to have teams 
California, whatnot. So, uh, but that's one of the things I, I'm concerned with. I have to say, I am all in favor for calling the team the Tahoe Tebos, if you ask me. That would be awesome. And if you are a player that scores, scores a goal and you don't do the Tebow, you should be fined. Now, that I like. You got to do the Tebow. That you I got to like. do the Tebow. You got to put it into the goal celebration. 100%. It's an My- easy selly. <laughs> you want to be on TSN bar down? You want to be on these sites for crazy sellies? Do the Tebow. I don't know about naming the team the Tebow. No, that's ridiculous. But, I, 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 but I'm being maybe, I'm maybe being there's ridiculous. some Heisman thing there that you could work into it. Maybe Ooh. maybe a Heisman shoulder patch. How about that? Yeah, I can warm up to that. I mean, I guess here's the question: is like, how much do you embrace the fact Tim Tebow is your your owner? How much do you do it, if at all? Because like, I mean, it's cool, but then it's like, okay, we don't want our identity to be. Okay, that's I, like being like, yeah, we have the the Minneapolis Manzels or something. It's like, ah, uh, like yeah, I think it's awesome stick. to get get off the ground, you know, get some attention. There, yeah, he's sure. there and making personal appearances. It gets, but no, it, to me, it's not really sustainable. But again, we don't know the details. We don't know how involved, if at all, he's going to be. I, I tend to think he's he's given the money and lending his name, and but who knows. You know, yeah. he's obviously not a hockey guy, uh, but no, I think you always have to have, you know, you have to build something on its merits a little yeah. bit, you know, like what have you done? What's your style of play? Stuff I want, like that. I got to ask you a question, Justin. So to your knowledge with an ECHL franchise and sustainability, how much of it is a consistent season ticket base? Like in terms oh. of, so versus the casual fan, because you mentioned the tourism part, um, not to throw your brought your, brother under the bus and disregard his insight but i'm just curious like how much of it is like you need like x amount of season ticket holders that are, like committed to that or you know, rely on just pure gate walk-up revenue well i think one thing that you're not mentioning is sponsorships and advertising yeah and things like that because that is a huge bit of money for sure well, yeah no. what kind of corporate sponsorships so you know that there's a lot of money in Lake that could Tahoe. outweigh it. Yeah, no, for sure. But you have to prove to those corporate sponsors that people are right. going to be seeing your advertising and whatnot. So that kind of circles back to your question. I think season ticket holders, that is much bigger to me in the typical market than walk-ups. But, you know, Who knows? I, I don't, we would have to, it'd be interesting to go back and look at when the ECHL had a Vegas team. I wonder how many the, Wrangler, the Wranglers. Yeah, the Wranglers. I wonder what that was like for them in terms of walk-ups versus um season, ticket season tickets. I mean, I, I can't imagine a lot of team people went to Vegas at the time and said, We're gonna spend our time in ECHL game. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're, they're, yeah. <laughs> but you, you see what I'm getting at? Like that yeah. is a tourism based city. And I see what you, you mean. You know, there really aren't other cities like that. I mean, Orlando, you know, Naples, the Everglades. I mean, I don't know. This is Vegas was a tourism based city. Lake Tahoe seems to me to be a mostly tourism based city. So I don't know what the walk-up is going to be like. So I think your first point is spot on. You need the season ticket holders and you need the money from the corporate sponsors and whatnot. But, you know, every market's unique and you got to kind of find your way. Absolutely. Well, I think we're going to cap it there for this week's show. Uh, thank you for joining us. Thank you again to Logan for coming on. We had a little bit of a break, but we're back, and we're going to bring some cool guests on. 
I'm really excited about one I'm working on with uh, someone I have a personal connection with. I don't want to reveal too much, but we want to have them on as soon as possible. Um, and yeah, thanks everyone for listening. We'll, we'll see you guys next week.